with your friends again after the service. Now, we have an awesome privilege this morning. We have Andy and Autumn Webster, who are missionaries that we support in Asia. And they're here this morning to share with us about what's going on in their life and what God is doing. So would you guys please welcome them? Yeah, thank you. Check Visa MasterCard. It's working, isn't it? Oh, great. Boy, you guys are so lucky and blessed being in worship this morning and feeling the presence of God. That's something we don't really get to do up in Yakville. The last five years, we haven't been able to meet with some of our friends and do what you're doing this morning and praising God with this awesome worship team and getting in God's presence. It's such a privilege and uh, super, super uh, blessed to be with you guys this morning. You're one of our sending churches. You're making the impossible possible in Yakville through your prayers and your finances. You guys have really have an inheritance in our neck of the woods. You might not ever see the people or go to the mountains where we live, but you have gone there in your prayers and in your finances. You're making a difference over there uh, through us. We're kind of like your ambassadors over there. That's how I see it. We're your ambassadors, kind of like an Acts 13 where they sent out Paul and Barnabas and let them do their thing. And you guys have sent us out, and we're so grateful for it. You guys were first responders in this last season. Autumn, uh, we just found out, had uh, in this last season of 2021, had to come back to America for uh, an emergency surgery. And it was so great to not feel like I was on my own through trying to figure out, do we do a surgery here in Asia? Do we do it overseas? I was able to talk to the pastoral staff here And I felt like even though I was 15,000 miles away, that I had a pastoral voice in my life. And I can't tell you how much that meant. I mean, way goes beyond any kind of dollar value to have people that care, you know? I'm sure you guys know that having people that care in your life is such a difference maker. And having that connection really helped us through a very difficult time in our family Uh, The boys were worried that mom would have to be away for five months, and and dad at that time had only known how to cook eggs, so they were like, oh no, five months of eggs, this is going to be bad, but you know, uh, the Lord intervened, the Holy Spirit helped, I was able to figure out a way forward with cooking, and and Autumn was able to come over here for a a surgery and get all the help that she needed, and, and we were able to see her come back, so we're thankful for your your journey with us in that and in making the impossible possible up there in the spirit realm. You know, it's been said, the stages of the work of God are like this, impossible, difficult, done. And we are somewhere in between difficult and done, so keep praying for us. We want to push the ball forward. We want to see what God has for us uh, completed up there, the assignment that we're currently involved in is translating in the heart language of the people that we're serving, uh, translating God's Word. It's never been done before. It's an unreached people group. They have no Bible in their language. They have no church like we've experienced in their own language. And there's only one believer that I know of, and she is persecuted by her family, beaten by her family, because she's following another God. And so we have planted our feet in this community and saw that 
One thing that will outlast any work that we could do is translating His Word in a language that is their heart language. It's never been done before, but that's our assignment in this season. We're trying to learn all the small parts of the language. You know, I thought I, you know, God, I, I learned another difficult language when, when I was growing up, Chinese, you know, Chinese four tones. Isn't that good enough for your work? And then I come to find out that the language we're learning is even more difficult than Chinese, right? It's got five tones, and it's like all in the back of your throat. It's like Yoda, and I was like, man, I, you know, I don't know if it's theologically correct, but it seems like God has a little bait-and-switch program, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you know, I got something for you, and you didn't know what you were signing up for. And then come to find out, had you known, you might not have signed up. I'm still grateful for it. It's the most amazing thing, following God. What an adventure. You know, the fear of God expands your life to areas that you would never, never imagine. And I'm so grateful for it. Because when we're expanded, we're, we're expanded beyond our capacities. And it's God that has to inf influence us and come and be the strength of our heart. So it's more about Him than us, right? I want to share with you just a brief video, two minutes of Yakville, so you can roll the tape. Thank you. Thank you for standing in prayer with us for the Southern Comps events. We've had the privilege of living amongst them for the last 15 years at 11,000 feet. Many of them are semi-nomadic subsistence farmers, their main crops being barley which they can sell in town and, and in other markets. Their main food, their main staple food is yak butter tea, believe it or not. They have that four times a day, breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea, uh, and dinner. It's a great time for them to gather around the hearth and share the stories of the day. Many of them truly love singing and dancing. It's a centerpiece of their culture. They love singing about their rivers and their valleys and their mountaintops. They take so much pride in it. They also love to dance at any family or community gathering they get a chance to. They take a lot of pride in that as well. There's many barriers, though, for Tibetans coming to Christ. So many of them see that if you're a Tibetan, then you're going to be a Tibetan Buddhist. It's intrinsically tied that if you're one, then you'll automatically be another. They just see that individually and corporately. In our area, much of the Tibetan Buddhism is, sees its expression in animism, where daily there are incense fires going up to the sky gods, there are prayer mantras being offered all kinds throughout the day, and there's offerings being given to the idols all around and the monks. They believe that engaging in these habits, that they in some way can manipulate the spiritual world for their benefit. We want to see be released from their identity and their culture, defining identity in Christ. We want to see them released from the bondage of their habits, and we also want to see them free from their fear of the spirit world. Thank you for standing with us. Yes, so you guys are making a difference up there through us and through God's power, and we're just so grateful for it. Seeing those pictures and the mountains gets me excited again to get back and get at the work that God has for us. It's, it's a pretty massive work.
And like I said, it really does need God to come into our heart and to be the strength. Because sometimes you look at some of those mountains, whether they're physical mountains or mountains of learning a language or learning a culture, and they seem too big. But uh, God is greater. God is greater than that. Since the last time we were here, I just wanted to put you up to speed really quick. The last time we came into this house, we were homeless. Uh, we lived in a house for 10 years with our three boys, growed them up there in Yakville, and the government needed half of the house, okay, to build a road that was going to the park up the road. And where we lived, if the government wants it, the government gets it. So they came in and they literally cut it in half. You know, you don't want to spend any more money or any more effort than need be. So, boom, you cut it right in half. And uh, the only thing that's really left of our house is a nice western porcelain toilet, the only one in our village, you know. Uh, we, had, we had to get a toilet because the first day that we were in the house many moons ago, there was no toilet. And the folks there, they just find a tree, find a bush. And well, what Autumn needed to use the restroom, went out and... Um, went to a shrubbery over near this field, and come to find out there's people uh, pulling potatoes, harvesting potatoes. Well, okay, that's not going to work, so go around this corral where there's some horses. There's ladies harvesting barley over here. So half hour later, um, able to use a restroom, and this is not going to work if you need a half hour to find a bathroom spot. So we pulled it together and made a little western bathroom in our and our house over there, and that's the only thing that's, that's left. So if you're driving to the National Park, you can see the Webster National Monument right there. And um, we're just grateful that we're in a new house. We have a wonderful family that we are renting from. We, we're super close to them. They live on the first floor. We live on the second floor. At night, you can hear the... Uh, in the morning, we see each other. And it's just actually pretty amazing because we get to do life with them, we get to learn this language, we get to be just incarnationally living with them through every kind of holiday, every kind of family experience, and uh, it's just a real blessing. What we didn't know is that we would be living with somebody who is very gifted at telling stories, and she's a really good language teacher. She's never been to school when I was paying her for a language lesson, she couldn't even do an X. She was really embarrassed. But you know, she knows her heart language perfectly. She speaks it every day. And so what we're trusting in the days ahead is that not only can we learn stories about harvesting barley and pulling weeds and all these kind of things, but she can help us shape the greatest story which is in God's word, the creator God. They worship the creation, as you saw. We want to tell them that there's something greater, the creator God, and have a hope in him. And so we get to live with Norjay and Jerpy, a wonderful family. They have two daughters, and so we're looking forward to getting back with them and getting at it. COVID, we all went through it around the world, some in different ways than others. I had a business over there doing tours, uh, from all over the world, people would come to our neck of the woods, as you saw, very beautiful, and get to interact with it. Uh, COVID put up the walls. I couldn't do it, and I was getting really nervous about, man, I need to see some uh, money come in. Let's not see these goose eggs. I was getting really worried about it, and it was kind of consuming my, my thoughts and um, just overcome with worry. And God said, Andy, you take care of my business. I'll take care of yours. 
He said it to me before, I'd forgotten, He's, you know, he had to say it again. Take care of my business, I'll take care of yours. And so even though COVID, we didn't see a lot of business uh, going on at all, what we got to was God's business, which was learning this language, going deep with this family, going deep with the culture. I got to harvest all kinds of, all kinds of stuff with the neighbors and just do one-on-one life. And there's no better way than just doing life with our neighbors. And so even though I wasn't busy climbing mountains and having fun on horseback tours and this and that, I was doing the work that God has called us to. It's really, it's really great. We're in a new season. We're in a new season of life. Our kids are 17, 18, and 22. So this trip, we're actually bringing them to the States and we'll be getting on a plane without them in a few months. So that's kind of a a new experience for us. They're actually really excited and really engaged with what's going on there. Actually, a couple of weeks ago when college started, it was the first time one of our kids had ever been in a classroom. The first day of college was the first time he had ever been in a classroom. And he was all jazzed, you know. He's like, this is amazing. This is great. He got there and he and his brother were the only ones that weren't doing this before the class. He's like, what's going on? And so we are really grateful for that. Autumn was able to homeschool these guys all the way through, and we're super grateful for the deposit we were able to make in the kids, and now seeing that uh, grow into whatever God has for them. And we don't know what that is, but we trust Him, and we know it's going to be good. I want to share with you from my heart this morning a message that's near and dear and I want to share with you just some, just some reality of persevering in our journey with Jesus. I don't know about you, but it's not easy to persevere. There's a lot of obstacles in all of our lives that seem to pop up. You know, you've heard the Marines, they have a motto, Sember Fi, right? It means always faithful. Well, the pioneering missionaries of the world, we have a motto too, okay? It's called this. Sember Gumby, always flexible, always flexible. (laughs) Blessed are the flexible, they'll be bent and not broken. And so we have had to remind ourselves of this all throughout this last season of our life. The Apostle Paul lived by Sember Gumby, always flexible. You know, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia, but it turns out when he went to Macedonia, the first convert was a woman, Lydia the seller of purple cloth. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. His best friend, Barney, bailed on him. And yet, he pressed on in the mission to see new churches planted where Jesus was not yet known. And Paul wrote down some keys to having a persevering, enduring church and life. And they're found in his letter to the church at Philippi. It's the book we know as the book of Philippians. And the cool thing is, what I like about Paul is he's not just sitting there admonishing, lecturing, this classroom theory kind of thing. He was living it out. He was living out perseverance. He had gone through and was currently going through trials of his own. And so was the church in Philippi. This letter, Philippians, is like the first missionary newsletter. He's writing to them, hey, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. These are some things going on in my life, and I want to encourage you. And this morning, I want to encourage you how to live out and finish strong the Christian life amidst challenging circumstances, both within and without 
our culture and church. So let's dive right into Philippians this morning, Philippians 4. You can press the button or the app or whatever you need to do to get there. I prefer the good old-fashioned way. There's not much left here. I've had this Bible a little bit too long. It's, the duct tape is even wearing out, um, but we're going to, it's my, it's got every little coffee stain and, 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 and pen mark, so I know where everything is in it, and I can't, I can't leave home without it. So let's dive into Philippians 4, verse 2. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I plead with you, Euodia, I plead with you, Synthache, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose name are written in the book of life. You see here in this passage, Paul is encouraging the church to protect unity. That's the first thing I'm going to share with you. Five different things about persevering with Jesus. And the first this morning is protecting the unity. He says it here, I plead with you, Euodia and Syntyche. These are two ladies. He says, I'm begging you to come to an agreement. And it's not some big thing. It's not some heresy. They're not going to be kicked out of the church. It's some small thing, some small squabble of maybe Euodia wanted the women's ministry to go this direction and Syntyche wanted it to go that. And they were having a, a little squabble. But we know that small things can become big things, especially in relationships, right? Especially in relationships. It reminds me of a time I was marriage counseling once. We went to this family. We drove out the country and sat at the kitchen table and we're talking about things, you know, about the kids and the, and the finances and what was going on. And, and then he kind of, uh, the, the gentleman <clears throat> cleared his voice saying, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but the thing that really grinds my gears is that my wife is using too much toilet paper and I'm afraid the septic is going to explode. I said, are you serious? You call us out here to talk about too much toilet paper? And it really it was something so small and yet it was clogging up the relationship. You know, you get that one, that was free. But uh, I'm But small things have a way of growing and growing and growing. Paul calls on the church for assistance. You help these women. If you see something's going on, if there's an offense or folks aren't coming to agreement, let's get this thing taken care of, church. Just don't sit idly by. Deal with it. Resolve and restore the little things before they become big things. Dear friends, this morning I'm begging you to protect the unity of this church by dealing with quickly the small offenses the small offenses. Don't wait. If you think somebody has an issue with you, you know, take them out to coffee. Engage with them. Don't back away. Get a friend, as even Paul suggested, if you need, to forge ahead in forgiveness. Forge ahead in forgiveness. That's what Paul is talking about here. I served a church, as I said before, that has a miraculous story of unity. There was some growth and things were happening and it was all great and good. And some of the leaders, as I just said, saw the church going in this direction and some of the leaders saw it going in that. And unfortunately, they didn't deal with the small stuff and there was a church split. And when this church split, they met in this fellow's basement down in, in Denny's basement and they said, you know, it's just us and we would like to have 
somebody come and, and pastor us. So they called Elam up the road and said, hey, we're a small little church, and would you send somebody? And they did. They sent a, a young college guy to come down and pastor this group in the basement. And as he did, he really felt grieved about this split that had taken place. So over a period of a couple of years, this young guy, this pastor, started to meet with the folks at the main church and started talking and having coffee. It didn't happen overnight, but through a period of years, they started talking about the hurts, the misgivings, and the offenses, and they were asking for forgiveness, trying to find a way forward. And eventually, miraculously, that split was brought back into the main church. You don't hear of that too much, but it happened. And I am so grateful that these impossible things can happen as we forge ahead in unity with God. That's how we can persevere. That's how we can endure. So let's move personally and as couples from the shadows into transparency, striving for oneness. That's what we're looking at this morning. And if we are going to endure, we must listen to this pleading of Paul. He's like saying, I'm pleading with you. He says it twice. I'm begging with you to protect the unity by resolving and restoring many times those small offenses that grow so big. Let's read some more this morning of Paul's letter. He says in in verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. So the second thing I see as a real key in persevering with Jesus is pursuing joy. Paul encourages us to do that. A scholar makes this comment about this segment of scriptures. It is as if rejoice, saying rejoice, there flashed into Paul's mind a picture of all that was to come. He himself, Paul was lying in prison with almost certain death awaiting him. And the Philippians were setting out on the Christian way in dark days, dangers, and persecutions were inevitably lying ahead of them. So Paul says this, I know I've thought of everything that can possibly happen, and still I'll say it, rejoice. Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Jesus. Joy has its source in Jesus. We must choose to rejoice over and over and over again. Rejoice over despondency, over self-focus, over depression, over pity. If we look at the original language in here, it's written as a not optional. It's an imperative. Paul says it over and over in this puny little letter to rejoice. He says it 16 times. There's only four chapters. He says it over and over again. Why? I got to believe that he saw it as a key to persevere, to rejoice. And he, again, is not writing from some Airbnb, chillaxing and sipping his pumpkin spice latte, thinking of a good thought for his friends. No, he is writing from a quarantine, a lockdown, a house prison, and he discovered the key, which was rejoicing, not focusing on his own world of hurt, but on Jesus. You know, and I get that wrong so many times. I get into a little bit of a of a funk, and I got to find my joy jam, you know, uh, dial my song in, find my joy jam playlist, right? Find my happy place. But that's not it. 
If we are going to be resilient, it has to be centered in the person of Jesus. That's where true resiliency is going to happen. The joy of the Lord is going to be our strength, not the joy of our playlist, right? I had to find that out personally. In 2014, there was a huge fire that came through Yakville, and my office was in the center of town in this beautiful area where a lot of tourists could come, big wooden carved buildings, a lot of effort made at it, just like uh, amazing. But it was in the middle of winter, all the hydrants were froze, they didn't think ahead that way. So this huge fire came in and took out 300 buildings, and my office was in there. What went? Yeah, my, my bicycle. Oh, no, no, not my bike. There that goes. I, I had a painting from my seven-year-old son who did this beautiful cherry blossom thing, and poof, that went gone. I had a stack of paperwork that took me three years to get my business going. I thought I'd put it in a safe place. No, not in my house, but in my office. There it goes. It was totally fried to a crisp. And when I saw that, all that effort, all that energy just up in smoke, I felt dead. I felt empty. It was like the elasticity of my soul snapped. And I questioned the goodness of God. You know, we labored so hard. I focused on me. I started getting into the world of my loss and my pity, my circumstances. And I got into the old habit of putting on dark music to kind of cover up my dark mood. You know, I was way beyond what I thought I could handle. I was way beyond my comfort, my capacity, my competencies. And like Bilbo Baggins, I said to myself, I feel thin, sort of stretched like butter over too much bread. You know what? I was, I was stretched way beyond my capacity. And I don't know about you or where you're at this morning, but I can guarantee you at some point, your little Gumby is going to be stretched in every way. And when you find yourself at a loose end, remembers Paul, Paul's call to choose joy. God's Word reminds us to rejoice, not to be happy. We hear a lot of, be happy, find your happy place. But happiness is tied to circumstance. Joy comes from the empowering presence of God. Pursue joy actively, actively, not just come into church and say, oh, joy, 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 joy. No, it's an active, something that takes your energy to engage in. And for me, what that meant, finding my joy, was waking up with a prayer on my lips that said, I rise today in the strength and in the joy of Christ. I didn't feel it. I wasn't there, but I was telling my heart, I was telling my head the truth, and I waited for God to come, and He came. And I've come to find that we can move from sorrow to joy when we plant ourselves in the presence of God. Prayer is a great doorway to enter that presence of God. So let's go back to the scripture this morning. Again, you're super familiar with it. You've heard it before. Do not be anxious for anything, Philippians 4, 6 says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
Paul encourages us, thirdly, to persevere in prayer. He encourages us in our trials, whatever we're going through. People are bullying us. The finances are tight. Our health is not going in the direction that we hoped. School, the next step seems a little bit fuzzies. Paul encourages us to take our burdens and our baggage and to present them before God. God, I give this to you. I give this to you this morning and leave it with Him. Our fears, our anxieties, they're all occupational hazards in life. People are going to have them. I'm going to have them. But the follower of Christ is not to be overcome by these worries and fears. Paul admonishes us to not be anxious. Kind of like this, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were going through a challenging time, and we thought, yeah, we're going to fast. We're going to take a season of prayer. We're going to take a little time out. And so I said, well, I'll fast lunch on Monday, and I'll fast Netflix, and maybe, you know, my playlist here and there. And I asked Autumn, I said, what, what are you going to fast? She said, this season, I'm going to fast fear. I was like, dang, dang, girl, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going with you on that one. That's why I married you, because that spoke to me and still speaks to me to fast fear and focus on prayer. That's what Paul is talking about to us about this morning, to not be anxious for anything, but in everything, bring it to God. The Bible repeatedly teaches us not to fear. But how am I not to fear when I feel fear? Very often in the Bible, the don't fear phrases are verbs which mean don't turn into wax, don't melt, don't remain passively in fear. When I didn't let my fears overwhelm me, when I didn't ignore, deny, or repress my fear, but entered into it, experienced it fully, and allowed my fears to drive me to God, I won the battle for that minute. When I kept going, I was able to do this continually and work through my fears. It didn't mean I didn't do risk mitigation, planning, but I wasn't always constantly worried about the future. I could actually live in the moment. And that's what God is calling us to this morning taking our fears, taking our worries, taking our doubts, and placing them in His hands and releasing them. I don't know about you, but in my life many times, i just gotten comfortable with my worries and fears and just kind of go to church, do my thing, hey God, and then go back to home with them. I forget that I am to release them completely to Him, give them over to Him. I don't know about you, but maybe you came into church this morning and said, I, you know, I can't handle this anymore. I cannot deal with this issue in my life anymore. I'm here to tell you that God can handle it. Pray wherever you are. If you don't know where to start, start with thanksgiving. Start with thanksgiving. Start to say, God, I'm thankful for the fact that we're in western New York and it's actually warm. Thankful that there's somebody taking out my garbage. I am thankful that I'm alive this morning. If you don't have the words, it's okay. Listen. Some of the best prayers that I have prayed have just been me in my car alone with God with just tears flowing down, not saying a word, giving things over to God in silence. Paul sets up a model for us, for his friends, his friends in Philippi. He says it like this, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. 
So refuse to worry. Fear not. Release it in prayer. Release whatever you're going through, the trials, the tribulations, the thing that's really bugging you. Release that in prayer. And the promise is relaxing in his peace, relaxing in his peace. And it's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. Sounds like a cinch. Oh, nope, not really. I haven't arrived, not even close. I'm struggling with this worry, this anxiety thing. Uh, In a few months, I'm going to be getting on a plane and going 15,000 miles on the other side of the planet, and I'm going to be leaving my three best friends behind, my three sons, who've done life with just about every day for the last 20 years. I'll be leaving them behind in a very challenging season of life for them. And I'll tell you what, I am worried about that. I am anxious about that, but I am trusting God with it. And I am doing my work, which is this morning putting that before God and saying, I am entrusting you to them. I'm entrusting this season of life that they're going through to you, Lord, and I'm not going to carry that baggage around. It's in faith. (laughs) It's in faith. I'm The question this morning that I ask myself is, am I walking in fear that produces anxiety, or am I trusting in faith that produces peace? I'll say it again. Am I walking in fear which produces anxiety, or am I trusting in faith that produces peace? What's that result of presenting our stuff before God, like Paul said? It says, a peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. If you do a little study word on that word, guard, the idea in the original language was it was like a sentinel, a sentinel like someone on a, uh, you know, uh, an outlook with their guns acted, activated, ready. They're vigilant. They're ready to take out anybody that's going to encroach and come near uh, to this area that they are defending. They are a sentinel. They are ready to disarm and destroy anyone coming their way. And that's what's going on here. That's the word that Paul is trying to bring out, that the peace of God will guard actively heart and mind. And who wants God as a sentinel today? God's peace, standing guard over your soul, over your core. That's huge. I want that this morning. That is good news. That's God's word to us, right? Let's continue with what Paul talks about this morning, about finishing strong. Verse 8, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure and lovely, whatever admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice and God's peace will be with you. In these verses, verses 8 and 9, Paul says to be careful about your thought life. Or in the Andy version, ponder in purity. That's the fourth thing. To ponder in purity. That will give us persistence. And so I ask myself this question. Where is my internal narrative centered? In the truth of God or the lies of the enemy? Because daily we get an avalanche of the lies of the enemy from friends, from social, from the news that are going on there. We have destructive voices. You see, our adversary is trying to derail us spiritually, to spiritually deform us. And it starts with our thoughts. And Paul knew this to be true because in Romans, he says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life 
and peace. And so this brings me to the, another idea that Paul had, which was taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. That sounds kind of churchy and, and, and nice and easy, right? Absolutely not. Taking captive in the original language, that's like a wrestling down, like a taking down of that idea of, of where your kids are going or the anxiety you have about your, your health. I mean, it's like, it's an active engagement, not just a happy thought. It's a taking it captive. I mean, when I think of taking something captive, getting it in a headlock and taking it down. And that's what we need to do with those destructive voices our adversary is trying to plant in our lives to spiritually deform us. It's a grudge match. You know, if I just let what everybody say kind of influence me, if I listen to the current events of the day and go with that, I'd be dead meat. I wouldn't be here. If I listen to most people, even family members sometimes, I wouldn't be in the pioneering fields today. When we were set out to go to Yakville, there was some folks who were saying, oh, you know what, that area is oh, it's all beautiful, but you can't live up there. The government won't let you, and the, the village elders won't let you. I was like, really? Huh. And they were in some nice apartment in the city, and they, they convinced themselves of that thought, when in the reality was... It took a lot of work, but 12 years later, we have the blessing and the favor of the government, the police, and the village elders. But if I had to listen to these friends and fellow missionaries, I would have never gotten into those areas that need God's work the most. So glad that I listened to God, not those other folks. I'm also glad that we didn't listen to family. Sometimes that happens. You got to listen to God over family. The night before we were ready to go, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, we had the boys' stuff all packed. We're ready to get on the plane. This is great. It's Thanksgiving night. Just had an awesome meal with family. We're ready to go. It's awesome. Autumn's uncle calls us over. Hey, now I want to talk to you now. I thought, okay, Uncle Bob's calling us over. He's going to give the kids some early Christmas gifts. Is he going to give us a word of wisdom, a, a huge pile of cash? I don't know what's going to happen. He says this, don't do this. You'll destroy your kids, and they're going to hate you for it. Okay, happy Thanksgiving, Bob. Appreciate it. But you know... What the enemy was trying to do that night, the night before our departure, was plant seeds of doubt, of discouragement, of fear, anxiety. And the reality is, if we would have listened to him and canceled our plane tickets, I don't know what would have happened. But to this day, our kids like us, they love us, they really love Yakville, they love the life that they had. And thankfully, we listen not to the voice of family, but to the voice of God. Sometime you're going to have to make that courageous decision. You might have to make it today to cut off, to power off the negative voices, meditations, the inner dialogues that are coming at you. Got to check to see if it's true, if it's noble, right and pure. And God's promise is the peace of God will be with you. Paul's encouragement 
to press on and to persevere is summed up in a secret, and it's found in the last portion. I'm going to read it. He says, again, that word comes out again. I rejoice greatly at the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret. Uh, uh, excuse me. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. See, he learned a secret. Paul is urging his church friends to practice it. And the secret revealed is this, that he has learned whatever state he is in, he can find contentment in Christ. And I put it in this kind of language, press into the presence of Jesus. That's where contentment is found. The presence of Jesus is where contentment is found. The final focus of this portion, Paul sums it up. He says, you can throw anything at me, and my center of contentment is Christ. Whether the tank is empty and the gas prices are high, whether there's no food on the table or there's plenty of food and we're having a buffet, I will be okay. One translation says it like this, I can do all things through him who infuses strength into me. You see, this whole idea of perseverance is not about us. It's about moving away from self-sufficiency to Christ's sufficiency. That's the whole force of where Paul is going in this passage. Whether it's working out a relational issue, wringing your hands over worries and doubts and fears, worrying thoughts in your head. It's not about pulling up your bootstraps and doing it on your own power. It's about finding strength in God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the context is so amazing here. Paul is writing this letter in house arrest. I'm guessing he was in a state of lack. He was isolated. He was lonely. And yet he says, I found a secret. I can't make it, but I know who can. So this morning, let's connect to the source, the source. Let's pray with someone if we need to, to Deal with some issues. And I can tell you one thing, that we are going to finish strong as a church. And we will be overcomers when we protect the unity, we pursue joy, persist in prayer, ponder in purity, and all this can happen as we continue daily to press into the presence of God. This is an active thing, folks. It's not just about coming into church and thinking a good thought. It'll take work tomorrow morning when that thought comes. It'll take work to wrestle that, bring that before God and say, God, I do not want this. I want to fast for you. I give it over to you. Sometimes we become so comfortable with these thoughts. Let's give it over him. The reality is we don't have what it takes to persevere, but God does. So let's find strength in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church, these people that are gathered. I know that there are so many different circumstances that folks are going through this morning. I couldn't name them all, but you can. You know intimately what's going on in our life, whether we're in elementary school, high school, or uh, we're way beyond that. God, remind us that we don't have what it takes, but you do. And so, God, would you empower us this morning? Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit 
Would you strengthen our hearts when they're failing? God, we want to be spiritually formed by you, not deformed by the worries, the cares, the thoughts of this world. It's not easy, God. But thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's example to us that no matter what's thrown at us, we can rejoice. Let it be the cry of our heart Monday morning, regardless if the bills win or not. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have a prophetic word. We'll see if it happens. Awesome. So it's awesome to hear from Andy and hear about all that is going on in their life in this season and the way that God is using them. We want to pray for them uh, as we end here. But I also feel like I just wanted to share that um, I feel like this word that God spoke to us was more than just something that happened to be on, on Andy's heart. I really believe that that was a word from the Lord to us. Um, it was a word from the Lord to me, too, specifically. I, had, I wrote a sermon for next week, and last night I was laying in bed going, like, Lord, is that what I'm supposed to preach next week? And it starts in Philippians 4, 10 through 18. So I really feel like the Lord is really just speaking to us. So would you guys just extend your hands, and we want to pray for them. Could you, is, can you come up? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Lord, we thank you so much for this couple, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift that um, you allowed us to partner with them over all these years, um, and I thank you for everything that you've been doing in their life and in their family and in the place that they minister, and Lord, I pray specifically that in this season of huge change for them, uh, that you would be with them every step of the way, that they would be aware of your presence, that there would be grace for the season, and we pray for the boys, we ask that they would uh, do well in all that they put their hand to and that this transition would be an exciting transition for them and for any of them that might be struggling with saying goodbye and being far from each other, Lord, I ask that there would just be a special grace for this. And we ask you to bless everything that they put their hand to, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an awesome week and uh, we'll see you guys next week.